A report from Henry Abbott of True Hoop says that Damian Lillard will request a trade from Portland in the coming days. Rich and I dive into why, if that report is true, Daryl Morey has to be willing to do whatever he can and give up whatever it would take to get Lillard in Philadelphia. We then go over a few players in our latest stay-or-go roster analysis, where we try to predict which players will return for next season. We talk a little bit about why acquiring Kyle Lowry in a sign-in trade would be difficult, and then dive into the listener mailbag. Quick note, we recorded the Lillard section on Friday after the news broke. The rest of the podcast was recorded on Thursday. Enjoy the episode. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. So the way this is going to work, Rich and I recorded a podcast on Thursday. It was a pretty long podcast, a combination of we basically discussed the stay or go article that we wrote for The Athletic. We then went into the mailbag. We closed up recording. I said, Rich, you know, I'm probably going to probably going to wait until Friday to release this. It's the off season. It's not like anything is going to change. Well, then there was multiple reports about Dame Lillard requesting a trade out of Portland. And then all that speculation broke loose. So in the hours, you know, basically Friday morning. We're recording this on Friday afternoon before Dame speaks to the media because I don't necessarily expect him to rock the boat too much while at a Team USA practice. But the report came out from Henry Abbott, uh, former ESPN Always True Hoop, that his sources say that Dame Lillard will request a trade here in the coming days. As my cat knocks everything off of my desk. Thank you. Yeah, and that pretty much opened up the speculation. You know, we have not spoken too much about Dame Lillard specifically because it always felt like unless he requests requests a trade, why would Portland do it? Well, we're not there yet. Not officially. Uh, it hasn't happened. Um, there's nobody reporting that it has. But Henry Abbott is a longtime member of the media. Uh, he has been, like I said, with ESPN, uh, with True Hoop, both now before and after it was acquired by ESPN. He has been in this ecosystem for a long time. He's certainly a respected name. Other reports, uh, Quentin Mayo specifically, said that Dame Lillard would like to be traded to the Sixers or the Knicks, his sources tell him. Now, Quentin Mayo, who I never heard of before this, he is the host of Bet MGM Tonight and a Washington Wizards insider for Blue Wire Pods. Um, look, I sort of have a... He's at real Quentin Mayo on Twitter. I sort of have a theory on people who start their Twitter handle off with real. Uh, doesn't usually work out well, in my opinion. No offense to Matt Carey, who I believe does that. I think at one time Tyler Tynes did as well, but I think he changed it. I don't just have a good association with anyone who starts with real, but he is verified. He has, I, I know nothing of the guy. Regardless, I think the Henry Abbott tidbit is the most interesting. I think there's a lot of reasons why Dame, Dame Lillard would want out of Portland, but for somebody of that stature to say that it is coming here in the coming days, it does change a conversation for sure. Yeah, it, it does. Doing, and I, <laughs> I realized I never never got, got to that. I'm sorry. And then you interrupted me. Yeah. Great. Uh, uh, I'm I mean, doing great. Everyone knows who you are. It's, it's, we don't need an introduction every time. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. How are, how, how are you, Rich? How are you? I'm great. Good. So a little, little bit of a busier Friday than we expected. I would say at this point there has been enough smoke with this Dame Lillard saga. Yeah potential trade requests unless he comes out 
and forcefully denies that he, I mean, unless he says like, I'm staying in Portland, I don't think this is going right. away. Because even, so let's say if he was, did one out of Portland, you don't want to be Anthony Davis. You don't want everyone to know you went out of Portland. What you want is for it to happen and you go, oh, look, Portland found something they think makes their team better. I wish them the best of luck. I'm excited about my new opportunity. Even if you have requested a trade, even if you want out, that's the way you want it to sound. And oh, by the way, he's also playing for Team USA right now. He's legitimately talking to the media. um, (laughs) JaVale McGee's Team USA. (laughs) JaVale McGee's Team USA. He's legitimately talking almost right as we record this. I don't think he wants to be a distraction at Team USA camp. It would be it would shock me if he just came out, which means now that we're recording this, he's going to come out and demand a trade. But it would shock me if he came out and verified the report for sure. Well, I yeah, also don't think I, it means much, though. Yeah, I mean, I think there are ways around it, though. I think if he forcefully said, like, I am going to be in Portland this year, I am happy to be in Portland, there is a wiggle room between the two where you don't have to rock the boat, but you don't have to completely flat out lie. I guess we will see what happens there. But, uh, I mean, this is the biggest story probably in the NBA right now. I mean, it's definitely bigger than the Ben Simmons story, even though those two things could in theory be leaked, but it's, you know, it's been a pattern over the past few years. There's just when you think, you know, the league, at least for a little while is going to be set in a place and enough superstars are happy with their current locales that changes for whatever reason. You know, I think, uh, Guys want to win, and, and yeah. this seems like I, I agree with you on the point that if this is true, all of this Dame Lillard smoke, all of this noise that that he wants out of Portland, it does seem like he doesn't want to be the guy to request the trade. He wants it to just kind of happen naturally. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to work, though. I think you kind of do have to be the bad guy at some point and request a trade, especially when you have four years left on your uh, on your old contract that the team is uh ready willing and and happy to uh to pay you so that seems like what where we're at but I, I think you know for the sixers this could be a huge deal obviously and uh for the nba it's it's a massive story he is maybe the perfect like when you start talking about superstars who could become available who would fit next to Embiid has a skill set the Sixers need, has a skill set Embiid needs, is at the point in his career that Embiid needs. There is There are a handful of people in the entire NBA who fit as well as Dame Lillard does. I, I, might, I might posit that the fit between those two, just the, the fit, I'm not saying Embiid plus, I don't know, Durant wouldn't be better, or Embiid plus Steph, whoever might maybe, not be better. Like Steph and Durant are the two that are at top of mind. Steph might be the other other one I'm thinking, but in terms of like they, I think even more so than Durant, who gets his offense within the flow of uh, of the game. And by the way, I think KD's probably the best player in the NBA right now, so this isn't a dig at him. But just in terms of the fit, are you covering up for the other guy's small weaknesses with your strengths? Embiid and Dame, probably Embiid and Steph. That's probably one A and one B yeah. in the entire NBA. That. I, I guess you could argue Harden would be in that that group as well, but man, I mean, we're talking about you just don't know what you're getting with Harden as much as you do with Dame. Yeah, that is uh, that is true, and I, I think like, look, I, I was watching the Team USA 
games. They're not very good th- this year. They're going to have to uh, they're going to have to work pretty hard to get the gold medal. And Keldon Johnson and Javale, are, I guess, are going to be the ones that are going to have to save them. Uh, Dame is not a good defender at all. No, but guess what? He is so good on the other end, and he can soak up so much of your offense that man, I. Is it fair to say if if they were able to pull off the trade for him, they'd obviously have to give up a lot, Ben included. That's we're we're talking a, a legitimate title favorite. Yeah, almost. So you you assume that they they get you start off with Dame and Embiid, you you keep Tobias Price as your, Tobias, your third yeah. wheel. I almost don't care who else you have around them. You're a title contender doesn't matter. Everyone else is replaceable. And that's why when we start talking about this, you know, what would you give up? Is there a, an exit point that you have where you just say that's too much? I, I don't, I there, don't know. There, I, there might be, but I it's, haven't, it's, haven't, it's way down the road. It's and, a lot of stuff. And I would not feel comfortable saying no. And that's why Portland will get a good haul if they do end up getting the point where they have to trade him. Um, but yeah, like if you just start off with those three, Getting even even if maybe the rest of the team right now isn't title contention ready, it is not that difficult to build out the rest of that roster. And it is incredibly difficult to get somebody not only of Dame's caliber, but also who fits with Embiid. You can't. If if this ends up coming there, to there pass, there really might not be an exit point. There, there might not be. Yeah. You can't let this this is the opportunity. You can't and this isn't Harden, who's what, I think maybe two years older, injury concerns, aging concerns taking care of his body concerns. This is the one that Daryl can't let go. He can't, Daryl can't miss on this. Well, because if you miss on this, and again, we're still talking about something that officially sure. has not happened and may not be true yet. We we just don't know. Uh, it, I mean, I, I remember back to when Harding got traded and we said, you know, it's like, it's a little bit of a bummer. I mean, you know, I, I think that we, I think we said at the time, hey, you know, the Sixers are playing very well. I'm sure Ben Simmons will start playing a little bit better, but like this is a bummer. You don't know when the next player of his caliber is going to be available. Yeah. We're talking. You really do have to seize this. Uh, this is this opportunity. Not only is Dame two years younger than Harden, but Harden only had a year and a half left on his contract. Dame has like four years left on his deal. Like he is signed through the rest of his prime. His prime matches up perfectly with, you would have four years of legitimate title contention. Uh, look, over- even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't four, even if it was two or three, I, I still think the, oh, yeah. the level of contention, I mean, you just, you have to, I think Daryl said it after they lost the Hawks series, if we're struggling in the second round, and he didn't say this, but if, I'll editorialize here. If you're struggling in the second round against the freaking Hawks, <laughs> then you're not that close to a title. The freaking Guess Hawks what? part this is, is a move. part that he didn't he didn't say explicitly. Yeah, yeah, he did not say. For sure. That was um, my editorial. I'm, but look, this is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I think, but this is the move that gets you up a couple of levels. Just does. Last two years, thirty points per game. 29, just under 29 points per game, 62 plus percent true shooting percentage. Uh, he's jacking up what? Uh, 10 and a half threes a game at 80 39. Yeah, 39, 40%. Half his possessions are pick and roll. More than half in the half court are pick and roll. He has a chance for the first time and be to really have a guard 
who is a legit threat to come off of a screen, come off of a pick and roll and just be one of the biggest threats in the league. And we've always, there's always been a little chicken and egg. Can Embiid grow as a role man? Well, you'll, you'll find out real quickly here. Um, he is not only spacing the floor. He's not only creating an isolation. He is giving Embiid space off of that pick and roll that Embiid has just never had. Even when they had Jimmy Butler running the pick and roll, nobody was worried about going under on Jimmy Butler on a pick and roll. Nobody's really worried about Tobias Harris because Tobias Harris doesn't want to shoot that pull-up three off the dribble. Tobias Harris wants to get to that 18-foot pull-up jumper. Embiid's, I mean, you don't need me to tell you that Embiid's never had this level of a score to play next to. It would be, uh, it would, if you want to maximize your chances of winning a championship with Embiid, and that has to be everything Daryl's thinking about, this is the guy. This is the guy, for sure. I mean, Ben Simmons, he basically made first-team all-defense based on, I don't know, what was it, like an eight-minute stretch where he made Dame look mortal? But at the beginning of that game, Dame might have led the Pacers, or sorry, not the Pacers, the Blazers, to 25 points in six minutes, and they ended up beating the Sixers anyway with a uh, with a roster that was really not equipped to, to beat the Sixers. I mean, he just makes stuff so much easier. I'll just, I, I remember the game, too, in the... Uh, they played the Blazers in the bubble last year, and people were getting mad at the Sixers. Why, why are you dropping? Why, why are you going over the screen? What are you doing? There's no way to guard the yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Sixers. Yeah. He's ridiculous. The Sixers would have two players that there's no way to guard. You'd have the perimeter scorer that the whole league is trended towards. Then you'd have the big man that the whole league is trended away from. Uh, and just to see, like, imagine Embiid scoring like 23, 24 a game but on way a way higher efficiency and having a lot more energy on the defensive end. Maybe he's only playing 30 minutes a night because they're blowing teams out. Like, I think this can do a lot for Embiid from an efficiency standpoint, from a having his leg standpoint. I think this can make Embiid a better... Now, granted, he'll have to be a better defender because he will be covering up for his point guard rather than um, having an all-world caliber point guard to help him. But I think it can make Embiid individually even if not the team, a better defender because he will have more energy to expend. He's not asked to create every shot for himself every time down the floor. There, for a big man, Embiid gets no real help in terms of creating offense for him, just not having to do everything for himself. It would be a, a really, really, really good fit. Uh, and look, there's I'm not going to say there's no concerns with Dame because he is, I mean, he's, what, I think he's right about to turn 31. Um, he's small. Smaller too. guards like that don't always age perfectly. But he's coming off of a five-year stretch here where he's just been incredible and, quite frankly, has gotten better here as the league has trended towards more of a perimeter game. He is, uh, He's the one. He's the one, for sure. Well, and we always talk about how the Sixers roster is not, in a lot of ways, built towards the way the rules are going. This guy yep. is built towards yep. the way the rules are going. And he really does it without flopping bullshit either, too. Yeah. He's just bombing 35-footers. Yep. That's not... That's not stopping being valuable, uh, especially off the uh, step-back variety. One other stat, just looking at, uh, you know, the Sixers' offense obviously has always been their their biggest concern. If you're looking at a side of the floor throughout the Embiid-Simmons era, can you get that top-10 offense? The Portland Trailblazers the last three years, 3-2-2 three, two, and two in the NBA yeah. in, uh, in offense. And there's one, I mean, look, they have a lot of good offensive players. CJ is pretty good. Nurkic is pretty good. There's one guy who's driving that to yeah. those uh, those insane levels. So here's the the next question: Do we think? Let's say they are. There or sorry. Let's say there is 
a uh, a trade request made. The Sixers have enough to uh, get it done, maybe. Yeah. So, like, because the whole league would be on this. Obviously, a lot of it will come down to, well, what does Dame think? Because Portland's not trading him to somewhere he doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. So that's why that that Quentin Mayo report, which yeah, don't know who he is, is important because if it's true, then it's a huge deal. And I think there would be reason why it would be on Dame's list. I think because. I mean, Embiid just had a runner-up MVP caliber season, and that resonates with superstars in the league. Can I, the, the one thing I will say, and he is not the only person, Quentin Mayo, who has rumored the Knicks as a team that Lillard might want to play for. If you want to win a title, That's uh-uh. not. I don't even know if they could beat the, I mean, I guess they could give up R.J. Barrett, who Portland could take a flyer on a young player. They could probably beat the Sixers' young players with that offer, but. Man, I, I got to say, you know, j- unless he just really wants to be a legend at Madison Square Garden, I don't see him elevating that Knicks roster to an NBA championship. I think as good as Dame is, he needs yeah. another star player. He needs a running mate. And fortunately for the Sixers, they have a running mate who is of his caliber and could potentially win a title with yeah. him if they were paired together. And I think what Portland would want back is interesting. Because I think a lot of times when like you or I or other fans look at it, we'll say, all right, well, you got to rebuild. Who has the best young players? Who has the best draft picks? Well, Neil O'Shea, O'Shea might not have the job security to rebuild. He might, might yeah. not be looking at it like I, he might not believe that he can bottom out. Like he can go into a couple of years where they're not competitive. Well, at that point, all right, maybe you and I have questions about how much Ben Simmons is going to help a team in the Eastern Conference Finals, or even getting the Eastern Conference Finals, well, he might just be looking to win 50 games and make the playoffs <laughs> and keep his job. And that is a very real, yeah, it's sort of, you know, there's always that debate. And one of the mailbag questions we got is about the process. Well, I think really the the, the part that gave the Sixers a real competitive advantage there is he just didn't care about his job security. Well, most GMs do. And that is the sort of question mark here. What is Neil O'Shea looking for? Is he going to have the chance to see a rebuild through if they have to go through it? Or is he going to try to win 50 games and make the playoffs and maybe pick up a couple of draft picks and young players that he can then parlay into a running mate with Simmons and, and McCollum? Maybe that's what he's looking for and build like a sort of three-headed monster in Portland that can win 50, 55 games, make a playoff run, and probably doesn't have a whole lot of championship equity, but... I'm not sure that crew's winning 55 games. But you're 45, right. 45, 50, whatever. But what's the the best retooling scenario and Ben Simmons might represent that. Well, Ben Simmons and also, you know, Matisse Thibel or Tyrese Maxey and three first round picks. Like I said, that they can And and Tyrese Maxey. Sure. That they can then flip a couple of those into another really good, maybe sub all-star or borderline all-star caliber player. And you could sell your fan base on. As you all know, by now we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 
U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Commercial offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, and the other thing I was thinking too is, you know, we we spent a lot of time wondering who is the team that can give the Sixers directly back another All-Star. Yeah. And, And how it's tough because a team that is getting Ben Simmons back also has major questions of what he would do in the playoffs. And I, I just, this is my speculation here. I would wonder if Ben Simmons might be more valuable to a bad up and coming team that's trying to break into the playoffs or trying to become, you know, from average to good or whatever. Uh, then I think a three team trade comes into play because then the Sixers, if Portland were looking to rebuild, the Sixers might be able to stack up enough ammo in a three-team trade saying, okay, these picks that you're going to give us, you're going to give us a lot of stuff for Ben. Ben's trade value is more than maybe we thought. Okay, Portland's looking to rebuild. We're not. So let's let's get an arsenal back here of stuff and then send that for uh, for yeah. Lillard. So I, it's it's fun to talk about. I mean, it's it, it does seem like, Obviously, we know that Daryl Morey is probably all in on trying to get yes. Dame Lillard. That's not uh, any breaking reporting news. But it does seem like, you know, for a team, I mean, obviously the whole league is going to be in on trying to get Dame Lillard. It doesn't seem impossible, at least, you know? It seems like no. something It's fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, is even more than Harden, like I said, because there were those concerns about how he would age, about... Uh, only having a year and a half left on his contract, how quickly he can build, put a, a winner around him and how much people like playing with him. There aren't concerns like that with Dame. Like this is the guy I really think you go all in if you can. Um, and look, I know a lot of people get nervous about giving up pretty much everything for a player. You don't do that when you don't have a superstar already on your roster. You can't do that for your first superstar because then you have no ability to get the second one and build a winner. Like if you, if another team, a bad team, and this is why it, all of the league might be in on Dame Lillard, but not all of the league is actually feasible to acquire him because if a bad team goes out, even someone like the Cavs goes out and gives up all their resources to get Dame, they have nothing left to put a, a winner around him. You can't go all in on a trade for that first superstar. You have to have one already in place. Well, the Sixers do, and they have an MVP caliber superstar on their roster. You can go all in for the second. You get that. If, if you get a second superstar who's a, also a legitimate MVP caliber player, and you can build that and their skill sets mesh, you you do everything you can at this opportunity. And he's still young enough, not young, but young enough where you can get three, four years of title contention. I, I If, if Daryl Morey doesn't give up pretty much everything or, or willing to give up pretty much everything, I think he's making a huge mistake. This is urgent, yep. yep. And uh, the Harden deal was probably, I mean, it was, it was urgent at the time, but they, they were still in wait and see mode a little bit, like, 
after watching Ben Simmons play in that playoff series, it's not to say it wasn't urgent before, but it's sure. it's been the the percentage of uh, urgency of urgency, yeah. the panic meter, whatever you want to call it, it's it's up there a little bit. I, I mean, mean this... you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, I feel like they almost have to trade Ben at this point, and we just actually in the, in the first half that we just recorded, we said, well, if it's not Dame, then like you're kind of boxed in because I don't know if there's another star available. Well, if Dame is available, and again, that's still an if. It's sounding like there's a little more smoke now, but it's still an if. But if Dame is available, he's on the market, or he in this scenario, he would be on the market. He fits freaking perfectly. You, it, you, you feel like do you have everything to make a move in your power anyway. Yeah, you can't you can't miss this one because oh, you really like Matisse Thybulle's defense. Like, no, I do really like Matisse Thybulle's defense. Love I, it. I love it. He was locking up. He wasn't locking up Durant the other night, but he did. He did block him, and he blocked Dave the other night yeah. actually too, which was funny. Guess what? If if that's what what it takes, you, you got to send him packing. And you know, you know, Matisse likes the uh, the Pacific Northwest anyway. He will enjoy his time there if he is a part of the package. <laughs> uh, but we'll see what happens here in the next coming days, weeks. Obviously, the draft is like two weeks away. Uh, draft is probably the second busiest trade day of the season. So. The rumor mill could pick up pretty quickly, but thank you for jumping on. Like I said, we will put the mailbag portion of the podcast that we previously recorded here at the end of this. So I don't want to say goodbye because I'll be talking to you, at least from a a listener perspective here in a couple seconds. But thank you for this impromptu emergency podcast. And I'll talk to you in a couple of seconds with the mailbag. Talk to you in a second. But not really. See you later. Nope. So we, we did a thing, we basically looked at all 17 players on a Sixers roster, gave predictions on whether or not they would stay or go. We're not going to go through the entire one here because, I mean, we wrote a freaking article about it. Go read at theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. If you're not already a subscriber, if you are, theathletic.com slash Sixers will get you to that article. But we will pick out a couple of people from that list to talk about, debate, kind of go through our reasoning. Um, probably not going to be a lot of debate since we sort of came to these conclusions together. But basically the way that I looked at it and the way that I think we wrote it is more like you have, do you think this player is going to have a 50% chance or higher of being on the roster or not? And it's pretty straightforward. And I had some people in the comments section were like, well, you're saying only five of the 15 main rostered players are going to leave. I, I think that's low. I agree that's low, but that's not really how we looked at it. Like, and I think the best way I can describe this, we had all three of the Sixers young players, the young assets as stay. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton, Matisse Thibel. We had all three of them stay. But I expect at least one of them to be traded if there is a Ben Simmons trade. But while I expect one of those three to be traded, I don't think either one of them has a greater than 50% chance of being that person. So I think that's the way I would explain it, just because we only had five people that we think have a greater than 50% chance of leaving does not mean that there will only be five people who leave. So with that sort of disclaimer out of the way, uh, you know, I guess we'll just start off with the one everyone's thinking about. Rajon Tucker. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, well, no, but to add on to your point, <laughs> you dropped I had, the joke I, in. Well, I, I was I, trying to interrupt you, and then you dropped in the joke. I did that joke but, last year. I forget which player it was, um, but I did that on one player that was nobody really cared about. And the the the, the agent texted me, and he's like, hey, so what, what, what does your article say about him? I'm like, I didn't actually really like people aren't waiting, dying to hear about whoever it was that I teased, but go ahead. The, uh, I, I I'm trying to think of it now. Well, my, my memory 
isn't that great. I'm sure you could go find that if uh, if you have the old Google search engine, you'd be fine. Um, no, with the stay or go article, it is hard though because it's just not a team that you could try and hit 100%. You can try and map out this is what the Ben Simmons trade is going to be. X, Y, and Z, or just X or nothing is going in that trade. But again, it's like you said, the the 50% threshold is what we were going with. So no, we're not going to hit 100% of all of those, uh, those players. But yeah, I think, I think the, the key is, and it was something we wrote about last year when I think we actually predicted Thibel would go just because we had the hunch, but the, it's almost a compliment to those younger players where it's like, you're young, you're still pretty cheap, and other teams would value you. So that's why there's a chance you might go. Yeah. But the reason we end up choosing stay is because I don't think the Sixers are looking to deal any of those players. Yeah, well, and I think there's a whole bunch of... So I guess we'll start off with the obvious. All of this is going to be influenced by what happens with Ben Simmons. You know, last mm-hmm. year, I think we did pretty good with the Stay or Go article. We got most of them right. Last year wasn't rocket science, though. Like, we, it was pretty... All right, Al Horford doesn't fit. He's a bad contract. Josh Richardson doesn't fit. He's only got um, one year left until he's an expiring. Get value while you can. Those were pretty cut and dry um, solutions to come at. We, this year, we did miss on that Glenn Robinson the third. Some some of the mid level exception Did, didn't realize GR three was going to have such a tepid market. Yeah, but you know, um, so okay. yeah, it was it was I the big the probably, bigger ones we hit on. Yeah, right, the important ones. This year was much tougher. You know, you've got Ben Simmons, and that is going to change everything that you look at on the roster. So I guess we'll start off with those three young players. Right, well, I guess we'll just start off with Ben Simmons. We did have him in the go category, meaning I think there's a better than fifty percent chance that he is traded. I don't think it's. A hundred percent, like a lot of people either want or fear, depending on which side you are on. I do think there is, you know, there is a reality or a, a scenario in the future where Daryl doesn't get what he's looking for. Um, the common, right combination of talent and fit with Embiid isn't there, uh, along with a team who then values Ben Simmons. Uh, so maybe you you come into the 2021-22 season, try to rehabilitate his trade value, give the pairing one last chance, whichever way, whichever reason he would be on the roster. I do think there is a scenario where that plays out. I think it's less than 50% though. So we will start off with him. Uh, we both agreed that greater than 50% chance was Simmons. Is that, is that fair? Certainly yeah. what we put in the article. So, somewhere in between 50 and a hundred, yeah. probably. <laughs> I think probably towards the middle of that. Uh, I, I think he is going to be traded this off season, but the idea that they're going to make a move a hundred percent. I mean, I just think you have to look at the realistic options that are out there. And, you know, if, you know, if Portland doesn't want to trade Dame Lillard, if Chicago doesn't want to trade Levine, they want to extend him this off season. You're not looking at a lot of great stuff coming, coming back in return. And I think, look, Daryl Morey is, he has proven over his career that he is very creative. He can maybe find a three team deal that maybe satisfies what the Sixers need, but just looking at the landscape right now, I think it is fair to say there's not a lot of obvious trade options. I don't think McCollum is an obvious trade option from the Sixers standpoint. Like as much as Ben Simmons trade value has taken a hit and the questions of whether he works past the first round of the playoffs that are all legit, that's something I'm not sure I would do that. I, I would not do that. I'll put it that way. If he was the main piece coming back to Philadelphia, it just... Doesn't seem like enough to me. So 
I mean, the 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 idea that there are a lot of obvious options out there for Ben Simmons, I, I don't necessarily buy it. While acknowledging that uh, bringing him back, while that sounds good and maybe rehabilitating his value, that has a lot of downsides as well. Yeah, and I I truly think like I think the market right now probably isn't as low as people expected when he barfed all of himself in the playoffs, because I think there's a lot of teams out there that still value what he can do and also have convinced themselves that they can get him to take that next step, even if it's not a monstrous step, at least a significant step forward. But I think, you know, you're not going to completely rehabilitate his trade value until he can succeed in the playoffs and prove that he isn't just a regular season player. And do you want to keep him? Do you want to risk another playoff run? Um, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Like there's risk another playoff run. I love how you put that. It's It's, no, it's, it's an accurate way to, say what you're uh what you're talking about there it's i I don't want to get this guy near a game that matters again i don't do it you know sacramento on a tuesday in december that's fine whatever i mean i still think if you had a kyle lowry version in this playoff run it could have played out differently uh if you had certainly somebody better than kyle lowry as a lead ball handler who can create in the half court ben simmons flaws could play out differently maybe assuming he's not again the 35% free throw shooting Ben Simmons, if he's his normal 60-65%, my big issue, outside of the fact that I just have no idea what to expect from him in the playoffs because his confidence could leave at any moment, is how do you get someone who's really, really good creating with the ball in the half court without trading Ben Sorry. Simmons? Um, I, you you want to know the obvious answer to me? Is that that person demands to play in Philly. That's the... yeah. That's the way it's That's why James like Harden was so intriguing because not only was he available, but also Philly was on a short list. He was yeah. on a short list. Um, all right. That list got pretty long by the end of it, we'll say. Well, there was, he, he was pretty he, long. He, like he was like three or four teams. Yeah, he was leaking like, you know, I, it, it might have gotten to eight teams, nine teams by the end of it. I, I think that was mostly to get one of the teams, Brooklyn or Philly, to, uh, to bite. Fair anyway. Enough. Ben does uh, impact the rest of this. No, he doesn't impact anyone else more than he does those three young guards. So let's start off with them. You know, we obviously all said that they were all below 50%, but none of them are 0% either. So if you had to sort of rank them, which is most likely to be included in the Ben Simmons trade package, who is least likely, uh, like if, if, if I told you I had Tyrese Maxey as a 35% chance of being traded, Shake Milton as a 15%, and Matisse Thibel, maybe 25%. I think that's sort of the way I'm thinking about it. How would you rank that? Yeah, that would probably be my order just because for Maury to make the trade, look, we don't know what it's going to ultimately be, but in my head, it's probably for a legit all-star type of player if it actually happens. And if that's the case, you got to attach your best thing probably to Ben Simmons. And your best thing is Tyrese Maxey. Yeah. So he would be one. I So I wonder a little bit about Matisse just because I, I totally understand why he would be included. I understand why other teams would want him. Uh, if you're losing Ben Simmons, though, it would kind of be nice to have oh, sure. the other really great wing defender. The only reason I had Matisse, and, and really I'm ranking those based off of their desirability elsewhere. Like part of the reason I think Shake Milton is the lowest is because I just don't think he has a trade value yeah. that Matisse or or Tyrese Maxey has. Uh, and I think Daryl Morey, if he's going to trade Ben Simmons, he is going, uh, this is the phrase we use, big game hunting. Like he is going to try to get 
that legit all-star uh, that can really form a partnership with Embiid and, and define the next era of Sixers basketball. That's not CJ McCollum. Uh, so I think he's going to try to uh, look. I look at everyone on, this, on the roster right now. Everyone, everything other than Joel Embiid, I think Daryl Morey views as expendable. He I, puts a premium on stars, a super premium on superstars, everything else, draft picks, young players, veterans. He can, he can get more of. He can trade for more draft picks. He can develop more young players. He can find people off of, you know, second rounds or undrafted. I think he believes in his ability to do that. What he does also believe in is that these superstar players, these top 10, top 15 players have an outsized difference on a league. I think he's going to pursue them with everything he has. Uh, and that is partly why I think Tyrese Maxey, if Ben Simmons is traded, Tyrese Maxey is the most likely cog to be included with him. If you do get a top 10 or 15 player and Ben Simmons is the main thing going back, you're going to have to attach everything. I I, I think you probably would have to attach that too, yeah. which, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be a great situation, but also would have a top 10 or 15 player. I mean, honestly, like who we're talking about Lillard. Lillard is the only one that who logically will, makes sense. That right. we know of right now who's on the market. Sure. And we don't even know if he's on the market. No, we know it's possible he's on the market. We know it's been discussed that he is on the market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's that's those guys. Let's just do one more because okay. I, I do want people to read the article. But the other guy who I think is the most interesting is Danny Green. Okay. I was I was thinking Dwight Howard, but that's mostly because I'm scared that Dwight might be back. Yeah. I think I, if you if you looked like read our article, I think I wrote a lot on why I think Dwight shouldn't be back and less on what I think will actually happen. And we're supposed to be predicting what will happen. And I truthfully don't know whether Dwight will be back because I think Doc likes him. I think Daryl likes him. I mean, he signed him twice or acquired him twice. <sighs> Dwight should, in my mind, not be back. I think you need a someone who can play in the playoffs. And look, Dwight played well in the regular season. I think you need someone who can play in the playoffs uh, in case. Paul Reed is not ready for that role. And I don't think Dwight is playoff capable. I think you have to, you have to design your team so they can compete when it matters most. That means no Dwight, but yes, Danny green next. That's good. You gave him the Dwight analysis too. put that in there. That's good. The, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I like Dwight. Good. Fine. Minimum signing. Um, if you didn't have Paul Reed, bring him back along with the stretch five, but he's just not going to work in the playoffs. And I think yeah. a lot of people view that as like a, he's a bad fit with Ben. No, he's kind of just a bad fit with playoff basketball at this stage in his career. I would so. agree with that. He just doesn't have a lot of versatility to his game. And yeah, he, he, he can commit fouls in many different ways, Rich. He can. I mean, and he, he was okay for the Lakers in a couple Series like he was okay in the Denver series. He he gave him like fifteen minutes a game against Jokic, which which was okay. But very situational player yeah. at this point, and also he's playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which also you know allows you to have a less than ideal fit in a way that probably the Sixers don't. They definitely don't because their best player is also a center. Um, okay, so Danny Green. I guess we didn't talk about his uh, his comments that we set didn't. the world on fire last week. We didn't. I, I guess that's probably past the uh, the news cycle. I mean, you can you can you can go ahead. I, look, I already made this point with Simmons. I think in one of the pods after the uh, the season is over. Stop blaming Philadelphia. Just stop. <laughs> stop. Yeah. 
this guy, <laughs> this guy needs to take ownership that he has not lived up to his potential. And and enough, enough with the city being hard on him. Yeah, you got booed after you completely collapsed. I think you would have gotten booed in a lot of places. Okay, I, I like Danny Green. I don't uh, really want to spend too much time on those here's, comments because here's the funny thing about Danny Green's comments. So first of all, like if it was true that Sixers fans were too hard on Ben, or just like just the, the general concept of booing can impact a player, I fully agree with. Like I think, of course, booing somebody can have an impact on somebody's confidence on their ability to perform their job. Some players react to it differently than others, but of course you notice that of course it would impact you. I just don't think Ben was booed all that much this year. First of all, you played in front of fans like five times. Like what do you know about Philadelphia fans, Danny Green? The team gets booed when they get booed. Like individual players do not get booed. Sometimes like Covington Sometimes. would get booed when he would go Covington, over 14. You know- you know the two players who get booed a lot? Covington and Danny Green. Yeah. Like a gunner, streaky shooter who sometimes takes some less than ideal shots. And when those are not going in, they, they are the ones who hear the groans faster than anybody. But for Ben ha- Simmons is not in that category. No, but for half the season, Danny Green was playing in an empty stadium. For most of the rest of it, he was playing in front of 3,000 fans. It wasn't really until the playoffs that you really got a jam-packed Wells Fargo Center. And on top of that, I don't think the fans were all that tough on Ben Simmons this year. Are we talking like game five and game seven of Atlanta? Were they a little tough? Yeah, they were tough. Like when he, when the pass happened, was there a collective groan? Of course there was. We're human. What are they supposed to do? And they also were cheering for him like he was, you know, a guy pulled out of the stands trying to make free throws. Yes, yes. So enough. So like, yeah. If, If I do agree with Danny's general point that like booing can impact a player and maybe it's not constructive, but like fans were pretty okay with Ben this year. They were pretty supportive. Um, get, I can't get over it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, th- I think that story will go away. It probably I, I already has. Th- we- I also don't think it really like, it, 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 I don't think it indicates Danny's decision. You know, one thing with Danny is he will give you an answer. He will give you what's on his mind. And quite frankly, I think that is like, I think in an age where almost all interviews have become sterile. I appreciate that quite a bit, not only as a journalist, but like as a, as a fan, I like knowing what my players think. He, problem he lets is some, some shit slip sometimes. The problem yeah. is sometimes when players let you know what they think, they let you know what they think and you're not going to agree with all of it. Um, yep, exactly. So it happens. It happens. He, and I, you're right. I appreciate that. But in this case, you're I, wrong. I think he missed on this one, but anyway. Okay. Danny Green also just real quick. Like he also, I think he has some, he has a pretty good read on Ben Simmons, I think, too, like as, yeah. a, as a player for the most part. Okay, so him coming back, I you know, it's funny. Right before we did this pod, I was reading John Hollinger's free agency preview, which you can also read at The Athletic if you subscribe. He ranked his top 20 free agents. I don't know what the acronym, acronym is. It's like board or something. Big, that's right, big old rating dollars. I'm looking at it now. Uh, so... He actually had Danny Green in his in his ratings as a, I believe, like an eighteen million dollar player Ooh. next year, which he acknowledged was high. But he he basically made the point that Danny Green was probably a little underrated. And uh, look, I don't think you you know he he writes in his piece that don't take the that uh, that number as gospel for older players. You probably decrease that a little bit for younger players. They'll they'll get more. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised to see him quite that high. I don't think he's nearly going to get that amount of money. You know, you saw 
as he he also wrote in his article, you know, he signed what, a two year thirty million dollar contract with the Lakers, played one season, won a championship, and then got attached with a first round pick to get yeah. freaking Dennis Schroeder in the next year, which was still kind of ridiculous. Um so yeah, I think Danny Green is somebody who, you know, as he said on on John Clark's podcast, I guess we should have mentioned that. That is where the fan comments came from. He also mentioned that he thought the Sixers would want him back, and I completely see that. You know, we've we've been over what type of player he is. He's certainly got his flaws when it comes to bouncing the ball on the floor and catching it. I, what's that? That's called dribbling. That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's that's a little bit of a weakness. The the whole sliding side to side against a quick player part that's like could be better. I'll put it that way. Um, but he still does enough things that I think help many teams win, but especially a Sixers team that needs that three point volume and really just smart defenders around Joel Embiid. So I think that uh, I, I'll be very interested to see if he he will come back. I think he had a very good season here. Uh, if if I had to, it's like we had it as it's probably pretty close to fifty fifty. But if I had to lean one way or another, I think he'll be back. Yeah, I think I think there should be interest, quite frankly, from both sides. You know, I think Danny Green plays well in this system, plays well specifically off of Joel Embiid, plays well off of Ben Simmons if he returns. And I think all of that means that Danny Green should want to be back. I think he got a lot of open corner threes um, with this team, and I think he, I think the Sixers should want Danny Green back. And by not having to be the best perimeter defender, I think that suits him at this stage of his career. I think Danny Green would probably want a little bit of certainty in terms of where he's going to be because he has changed teams a lot here in the last few years. Yeah, look, the age is a concern. I think he just turned 34 recently. Uh, so you're talking about his 34, 35, maybe 36. To, to, to me, the years are as important as the dollars. Um, I would prefer a two-year deal. If that has to stretch up into or maybe even a little past the mid-level, I could maybe talk myself into it. Um, I don't I don't think 18 million is too much, obviously. But I do think that the players like that tend to get pushed up to at least that full mid-level, which is, I think, where I've come to in the last couple of days. But um, I think I think they should try to bring him back. And, you know, I we've written about this before, but the, the non-taxpayer mid-level, you can pretty much throw that out the window. There's no way they're bringing really anyone back, uh, from Danny Green to George Hill to using that trade exception and remaining under that. Um, so as long as you're okay with that, then I would, yeah, bring, I would bring Danny Green back, but if somebody's going to use more than the mid-level, the non-taxpayer mid-level, uh, it becomes dicey for sure. And quite frankly, I don't expect them to because the teams that have cap space that would be able to offer more than mid-level, they're not looking for a 34 year old who can't dribble. Like Danny Green has to be on a good team to really have that kind of value. I'm trying to think of the teams. Knicks. Yeah, I mean they could use them. Knicks. He's from there too. Uh, Knicks. Spurs. Would they bring him back? I don't think so. They're rebuilding around younger guards. Uh, Hornets. I think have some. I don't think that really makes. You're right. Yeah, I think that the Knicks might be the team that would scare, scare me yeah. a yeah. little bit there. With you know. With with a lot of their their especially that junky I mean, ass offense, they could use some. I mean, they can't here. they can't shoot either too. Like so, that would he'd be a helpful player there. Wonder what Tibbs would uh, would think about him. Okay, so he is yeah he's the guy, and I also think from the Sixers standpoint, when it comes to you know if if you want to use that 
taxpayer or non-taxpayer mid-level exception. I'd rather have Danny Green just signed outright and then use the non-taxpayer. Like, I think that combination you mean is better than whatever you're getting for the yeah. taxpayer. You're, Plus, you, I mean, you switched the two terms around. You said taxpayer when you meant non-taxpayer. Yes. Oh, yeah. You'd whatever. rather have the lower one than the bigger one. The mm-hmm. lower one with Danny Green than the bigger one without. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, so, yeah, that that's sort of like the Sayergo piece. That's what we were thinking about when we wrote it, uh, how we went about coming to those conclusions. Head on over there and you can read the um, the full thing along with all, all. What do we do? I think we did all 17 players, sort of. We, we kind of sort of did Gary Clark. Um, 16 and a half player analysis of whether or not they will be back or not. So go check that out. And I think I think you recently wrote about a mailbag about Kyle Lowry and about the feasibility of acquiring him in a side and trade. So have have any thoughts on that? I think you want to get to. Yeah, that's an interesting idea still, because if you'll recall, I believe it was uh, Sam Amick who reported after the Sixers lost out on Lowry in, you know, at the trade deadline, that deal from our understanding, didn't really get all that close. There wasn't really much of a negotiation on what Lowry would have gotten from the Sixers past this year, but that there would still be interest from the Sixers is what Sam had reported back then in in a sign-and-trade. It's uh, just looking at how it would work, it seems like it would be pretty dicey just because back then you were talking, okay, you have to get rid of Danny Green and, you know, to match that salary and, and whatever. Now, now with the sign and trade, you have the uh, the apron, as yep. you have written about a lot, and just how restrictive that is with the uh, with the Sixers. You probably would have to trade Seth Curry too, which I mean, like, look, Kyle Lowry is better than Seth Curry. I would rather have him on the Sixers for sure, even at this point. But that's not a a minor loss. No, and sure. I think when you look at it, um, it, it still seems like an intriguing option. I still think Kyle Lowry has some good basketball left in him. I still think he would fit pretty well with Joel Embiid with that level of shooting and, you know, a little bit of playmaking. You know, you could move him off ball and all of those things. I just think, A, it would be restrictive if they tried to supplement him, like tried to supplement the current roster with, with Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, as you mentioned earlier. The uh, I think that was kind of the the problem is right now, Back when we were talking about this possibility at the trade deadline, it was, okay, you can move Simmons off the ball. This would be a really nice fit. To me, I think these playoffs and Simmons just decline here. Yeah, I think the Sixers would be a better team if they got Lowry and moving Simmons off the ball would be fine. I don't think that makes Simmons a better player anymore. I think that ship has sailed for me. So you have that combined with the part of it where I only think it's feasible really if you move Simmons and somehow shed some salary because yeah. of how restrictive the uh, the apron is because then you get into trouble with can you bring back Danny Green probably not yeah can you bring back Korkmaz even and probably not if he gets a good offer so I think you're looking at a pretty thin team I'm not saying Daryl Morey can't possibly get this done but I do think I almost wonder if Lowry would have to be in some sort of three-way deal with uh with Simmons to uh to make that happen in Philadelphia. Yeah. So what you're referring to with the apron, it basically, if you acquire a player in a sign and trade, you become hard cap at the apron threshold, which I think for next year is $143 million. You start adding up the Sixers current salary commitments along with even just bringing back a Danny green or anything of that sort using an, uh, even the taxpayer mid-level uh, you, you get up to that 143 
real quickly. So by acquiring Lowry in a trade, you really hinder what you can do around him. Uh, that's why acquiring him at the trade deadline, um, when you wouldn't have acquired him in a sign and trade, you wouldn't be capped at the apron. It was much more, uh, much more intriguing. Um, you would have had to give up more for sure. But even just like the, the problem with Lowry at this point isn't just matching his his salary, whatever he will end up getting as that sign and trade. It's then becoming hard capped at the uh, at the apron there. It, it would be it would be tough. Um, I don't want to get too deep into it just because it doesn't seem like it'd be the greatest pod in the world. A lot of dollars, a lot of calculations, but it would it would get restrictive real quickly. And, and we also should mention that you have to give Toronto something that yeah, would make them sure. want to do it now. To be fair, like they might not have a lot of leverage if his no, other idea is he could just sign outright with another team and right. you could lose him for nothing. If Kyle, if Kyle is like, look, I would rather go to Philly. That's where I want to go. They don't have the cap room, but I've got this other team who's maybe not quite as good and isn't my hometown that does have the cap room. Trade me to Philly or I'm walking. Then you can get him for pretty cheap. But it is uh, the, the apron is not inconsequential at all. At all. It's huge. So, yeah, I think the, the way I would put it with the Lowry stuff is I'm still very intrigued by it. Like, I would love to have him, I think, you know, in Philly if I were the Sixers. But it just seems like it's it's going to be hard to do at this point, especially because I think the point guards are going to get paid and he's going to get, you know, what were his, his reported demands? It was like two years, 50 million, I think. It was a lot. It was a back lot. then. Yeah. I don't think that's all that crazy. Like, I think there might be a team that could give him that on the – open market. I think Miami would be a good fit for him. Maybe even the Knicks too. Um, so yeah, it seems like just might be tough to do in practice. Yep. All right. So let's get into a couple of mailbag questions here and then we will let you go. Uh, where do we want to start? Where do we want to start? Uh, let's see. I guess we'll just start off with Ben since that's a lot of the discussion. Uh, we won't get into specific trades on this one. I lost my mouse. Where the fuck is my mouse? Problem with having three monitors is you can lose. Okay, there we go. Uh, this one from Thomas Clancy uh, at Tom Clancy WFU. Why do we need to trade Ben because of small sample size? What's the case? Note that he thinks that he should be traded because of lack of offensive development, but he wanted to hear our thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the small sample size in the playoffs, I would argue, is a product of that lack of offensive development. And yeah, I understand that the playoffs, by definition, are a small sample size. There are less games like that you play in the uh in the playoffs but I think the fact that we've had four years now where he's continually not played as well as the uh as in the regular season I don't think that's that small of a sample size I think it's last year it's tough to hold against him he didn't play in those playoffs but yes your 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 larger point uh the the small sample size of this year's playoffs is not something that has I mean it is carried over in previous years so I think that trend is why you trade him um, because I, and also because I think the lack of effectiveness isn't just like shots, not going in. It is a lot more predictable, a lot more explainable through strategy and through the raising competition. I think it's pretty clear that teams, especially good teams, even now mediocre defensive teams given seven games can game plan to stop him in the half court in the playoffs. Um, and he has done really nothing over the last four years to counteract that. And ever since Boston gave teams a blueprint, it has gotten worse and worse and worse. And you need to counteract that with skill devel- development. It just hasn't happened. Like if you're talking about what would Milwaukee do right now, if he had, if they had made the Eastern conference finals, like it wasn't getting any better. It wasn't getting any easier. 
Um, so I think the small sample size, yeah, if it was just small sample size where it was like a shooter missing shots, yeah, sure. But I think what you've seen isn't small sample size. It is it is scheme changes. That the, impacts the small the comparison that I like to make is Paul George hitting the side of the backboard is one thing. Ben's not even... No. He doesn't know where trying, the backboard is. Trying to shoot, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's a different type of playoff loss, a different type of collapse. By the way, speaking of Milwaukee, it is it is tough to watch Giannis airball a free throw, and then he just keeps going right back to it. Like, yeah. and he, you know, he had a game, I think, was it game three? He shot 13 of 17 from the line. Obviously, it hasn't been the case at uh, at all times. But, I mean, that's just a player who's working on a different psychological level than Ben yeah. is. I think it's, it's fair I to mean, say. That's a huge one, too. Like, what happened, like, is the 35% free throw shooting small sample size a little bit? Not really, because that was a lot of free throw attempts, quite frankly. But is that something I expect to happen all that often? No. But it also, the fact that it happened, it was clearly not just, hey, you started missing a couple shots and, man, shit happens sometimes. Like, it got in his head. And the fact that he doesn't have that kind of confidence, in a large part because he hasn't developed that skill throughout the course of his career, I have, if you would, if you go into a playoff series, I would have no idea what to expect. And it's really that lack of development over the years and that lack of fit with Embiid and the fact that you can't really get these high-quality all-star caliber players without trading him is why all of this has sort of come together. My my problem, I would say too, in terms of the lack of offensive development, I'm looking at his free throw attempts per year, per 36 minutes, 4.5, 5.7, 5.3, 5.5. The fact that that sure. has never gotten better, yep. I think is a sign that he doesn't want to shoot free throws. Yep. yep, 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 yep. Uh, this one, from your read of reports and sources, has the desire to trade Simmons in the Sixers front office increased after the playoffs or been the same? Yes, it's increased. Yeah, for sure. From reports, yeah. Um, from common sense, yeah. From talks, yeah. Uh, and look, here's what I'll say. like The Sixers, as an organization, weren't 100% sold on Simmons and Embiid working as a pairing last summer, or last, last offseason, which wasn't the summer. But the two people most important, Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers, specifically Doc Rivers, was very sold on giving it a shot. Uh, Daryl Morey, I think, I think anyone other than Embiid is always touchable. It's just, I think the price has gone down for Daryl over the course of the season. Uh, so I think there is some skepticism coming into the season, whether or not the pairing would work. And do I think that skepticism has been increased? Yeah, of course. Like we, of course. I mean, if you look back, it's safe to say there were some people in that previous front office who, uh, you know, even as Ben was coming off the third team, third team All NBA season, there, there were some vocal people who did not think that the Joel Ben pairing was going to work long term. This one from Ransom Casillo: When people pick on Simmons for not improving, a common response is that he did improve on defense. How much of that was due to effort increase from college and his rookie year versus technical improvements to his defensive game? I still think it's mostly effort. I mean, I, I think effort was a huge, like when he was playing at LSU, he was a, his effort yeah. was dog shit. Uh, and that, that scheme was bad for him. Like he was just sitting in the middle of his own. It was not tailored to him. He didn't really want to be there. His effort was atrocious. There was definitely a, if you had to rate the improvement, like a chunk of that is definitely effort for sure. 
I think it's a big chunk. I think it's more than 50%. I mean, do you, how much of it is just naturally getting to know some of the great scorers around the league and understanding their tendencies? I I do think like there were some times this year, he did give a good answer though, once talking about kind of the differences between Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown and all of their, you know, there are ways that they could score. So I definitely think he has embraced kind of learning about defense and, and locking into a scouting report. I certainly think there's, there is uh there's something to that, but to me, most of it is that he's always had these great tools and he, uh, he just cares more now. And that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, I, honestly, like you look at his defense, it's not always the most fundamentally sound defense in the world. Like he's not like always sitting in a stance at all times, but that's also part of the reason he's great. Cause he can be long and active and take some gambles and, and do those things. So yeah, yeah a, I think a, it's mostly effort. A big chunk of it is effort and buy-in and attention to detail and things like that. For sure. For sure. Yep. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. All right. This one from uh, John Jankowski. What should 76ers fans say to other basketball fans when they say the process didn't work? Here's, 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 here's my answer. Just don't have that argument. As somebody who has had this argument way more than I should have, my honest professional opinion on this, just move on. I, I completely agree. I think the, the process gets completely bastardized when people talk about it and it gets twisted. And, and that's a big part of it. Like no, two people talking about it have very different definitions of what the process is for some people. And the way I define it is it ended when Jerry Colangelo walked through that door because the process wasn't about trading two second round picks for a half year of his Smith. So that for me, the process ended in December, 2015 for some people they will say when Sam left in what April, 2016, for other people, this was a seven-year thing that went on, and they tanked for seven years. And then for other people, we're still in the process. Um, so I would just say, move on. Okay, move on. That's it. A lion does not concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. All right, Tywin. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, just don't have the earth. Yeah, no, move on. Like, enjoy Embiid, enjoy the fruits of the process, and you don't have to win this argument because you're not changing a single opinion ever, no matter what you do. Here's here's the advice I would give, though. If, if the Sixers ever win a title, then, you know, take notes right now, think about all the people you had the argument with, yeah. and then throw it right back in their face. Yep, for sure, for sure. All right, I think that is, I had a couple more lined up here, but we are already getting close to 45 minutes. Anything else you uh, you thought worth bringing up? I do appreciate Kent bringing up my highlight reel catch in softball yesterday, but uh, that is not pod worthy. Nobody really cares about that. He did have what, another question along with what that. What type of catch? No, no. Oh, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a really good catch. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back on that one. It was, a, it was a diving catch. It was a diving catch in the outfield. Full extension. Yep. Oh, yeah? yeah? I got it. Yep, yep, yep. But not to, uh, we don't really talk about it too, too long. Uh, he did also then want to know, um, is the Ben Simmons to Sacramento noise or legit? I can't see any world where a buddy healed Marvin Bagley package. Oh no, is, uh, that is a non-starter is um, enough. I think the Aaron Fox is an interesting name. If the Kings would want to put him out there, not the greatest fit in the world with Embiid. Hasn't played a lot of playoff games. You know, his shooting is obviously a little bit questionable. Then I think you're you're in the in the derby if the Kings want to uh, want to do that. 
Yeah, uh, the Buddy Healed, like anything that doesn't have Fox or Halliburton in there is a complete non-starter. Buddy Healed and Marvin Bagley, like just because you made the mistake of drafting Bagley second overall does not mean other teams value him. I don't even think I valued him that much at the time of the draft. I think it was like sixth or seventh on my big board, and he's disappointed since then. Um, look, I, th- I think what I'd say is, could the Kings have interest? Yeah, they could. They're going to have to step up their offer pretty substantially. But I think with teams like the Kings, especially if they're not willing to offer up um, De'Aaron Fox or the, the 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 Wolves, who are reportedly very interested but don't have a lot of ready-made players who you'd feel they confident. Don't, they don't have anybody on the team. They, they, I mean, they, they, they honestly have nobody because you wouldn't want Towns because of Embiid and everything well, else. No. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't be trading towns anyway. Um, no. It's not even really worth talking about. But everyone else isn't ready to compete in a, a, for a championship. But and I would throw Halliburton into that sure. group too. And I think he's damn good, and I really like watching him play. Seems like a smart kid and player. Uh, I think they should be really happy to have drafted him in that spot. But I think with uh, those teams, what I'd say is not ready. even if you look at them and you say, well, their young players aren't ready or maybe they don't have what we're looking for, the fact that they're if if the Wolves are truthfully very interested, if someone like Sacramento is interested in, in offering Buddy Heald and junk to me isn't interested, but if they are actually truthfully interested, that always helps Sixers because the more teams you get interested, all right, maybe what uh, Minnesota has to offer doesn't intrigue you, but you can then use those assets with a third team, get something that good. does. Anytime teams like that are truthfully interested, it would be good. Is Sacramento noise? I don't know. I do know that rumored offer that you heard with with Heald um, and Bagley is gar- just garbage. Just complete garbage. And one first-round pick. I, I, I mean, that, but again, it's it's what we were talking about at the, at the outset of this. It's pretty hard to find a Ben Simmons trade that's going to satisfy the sure. Sixers. Yep, for sure, for sure. All right. I think that is a good place. Uh, and by the way, it was, it was two diving catches, just to get that out there. Uh, wait, wait, so what position were you playing? Left field. Left, left field. field. Yeah. And in, in softball, most people pull the ball, so you end up in left field. That's like, so they put you there because they knew you were going to make those catches. I mean, I in, in college, when I used to play beer league intramural softball, I used to play left field, too. I mean. Because that's the best position to play. Yeah, sure. I, look, baseball was, was probably a sport that 20 years ago I was best at. Um, 20 years is a long time ago. But uh, it is it is it is coming back. I enjoy playing junk league softball uh, for sure, for sure. Um, keep popping the was, ball up, and that's pissing me off a lot. I haven't, I haven't, I didn't level a ball out yesterday at all. Hit a couple balls hard, but I didn't level anything out, and that's pissing me off. That, well, so I was a good fielder. My, my problem was I just couldn't hit it. Like th- th- there were, we would play with fences in left field, and I'm a lefty, so that was kind of the opposite way. And I would always get out because I was trying to hit it actually over yeah, the fence, sure. and it just never, just never got there. Yeah, you can, you could smoke like a single or a double or something like that, but that that wasn't that didn't interest me. So, no. they, my friends, I I batted like 13th in an order of 13 people. So okay, eh, okay. oh well, yeah, it happens. Um, you will you will kill me in a jump shooting contest. So we all have our strengths. Anyway, thank you for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.